audio teaching is provided by segula.net. You are listening to a teaching from our series on the topic of worship. This teaching was recorded live at Eight Time Messianic Fellowship. So we are going to be looking at uh, the subject of worship once again. This is part two and we're going to be talking about biblical terms for worship. Uh, so looking at some of the, the Hebrew words that are involved in this, this concept of worship. So um, like we talked about last time in session one, our goal in this series is to try to get to uh, toward a messianic Torah theology of worship. So basically we're we want to understand worship from a biblical perspective as believers who follow Yeshua and endeavor to obey his Torah, right? What does it mean to worship God, to live a life of worship, and questions related to that. So in the previous session, I offered a provisional definition of worship, uh, and that is worship is the service, honor, prayer, adoration, love, etc. that is due only to God, right? So worship is what if we gave it to anyone other than God, that would be idolatry, right? Uh, so we also looked at how in the Bible, worship involves revelation and response. God reveals himself to humans, to us as humans, and we respond to that revelation. And so Worship is our response to God's gracious revelation. But that means that God is God is always first. God is the one who initiates worship, and we're just responding to what he has done. Uh, today, what I want to do is look more closely at the biblical terms and descriptions that are used for worship. So we're going to be looking at a bunch of different uh, Bible verses and some Hebrew words, and possibly a few Greek words. We'll see if we get there. Uh, but I'm, I'm sharing my screen so that it makes it a little easier to follow along. If you want to try to follow along in your Bibles, that's, that's fine too. But hopefully it helps to be able to get a visual of it as we go. So there's this language barrier, obviously. Anytime we're trying to define something biblically, right? Like, so, so step back and think about it for a minute for a minute what does it mean to come up with a biblical definition of worship when worship is an english word and the bible wasn't written in english right so technically there is no biblical definition of the english word worship instead there's biblical definitions of biblical terms like and hodu and like all these other terms that we're going to look at in just a second um does that make sense? I mean, I hope that's not uh, trying to abstract it too much, but the, you know, it doesn't technically, technically, it doesn't really matter what the English word worship means. What matters more is whether or not the English word worship is a good term to translate some of these Hebrew words that we're going to look at in just a minute. Um, so in the Bible, in our English translations, when we see the word worship, there's, there's some Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek word behind that, right? So what do those words mean? And then we can ask the question, okay, is, is the English word worship a good fit for some of these words? And um, 
the main thing I want to get at is just like what, you know, what all is involved in this devotion, adoration, um, prayer, and this attitude of submission to God that is that is due only to God. What all is kind of involved in that? And and there's more than just one term. I, I, even in what I just said, I was using multiple terms, right? Devotion, adoration, right? In, in Hebrew, and also in Greek and in Aramaic, there are multiple terms used to express some of these concepts. So we're going to try to look at some of these clusters of terms and some of the most popular terms that we see, for example, in the book of Psalms. We'll, we'll take a look at that. Um, you know, there's... <laughs> At some some level, sometimes conversations like this become uh, semantics. And sometimes some of the debates we have as believers, some of the arguments that we end up getting into are really just semantics, where we're arguing over words, uh, but we forget sometimes that words in and of themselves don't mean anything. Uh, a word is what we use to convey a meaning. So a famous statement that people like to say is words don't have meaning, meaning has words. You have a certain meaning you want to get across to someone, you put it in words. And, and you know, those in a, in a certain sense, especially with, with modern living languages like English, words are relative. They can change meaning over time, over generations. Um, and, you know, we, we can see examples of that with, uh, take the word gay, for example. You know, it, in older generations of English, it just meant happy, right? So uh, it would be kind of silly if someone went around insisting, no, I'm going to only use the biblical definition of the term gay. And uh, therefore, you know, I'm, I'm part of a gay community, a happy congregation of people. Well, that's, you know, today that means a very different thing, right? If, if you tried to say that on the street, that would mean something very different to, to uh, your average person today. Uh, that's just one example of how uh, English can change, right? What we're going to look at is uh, some of these Hebrew words that underlie what we think of as worship in English, right? And... Uh, there are actually a lot of Hebrew words that express this service or honor or recognition or glory that we render to God, right? Which is the appropriate response to who he is. So here are a couple words. First word we're going to look at is the verb avad or the, the noun avodah in Hebrew. Avad or avodah. Literally, it means to work, right? To, or to serve. Uh, in fact, there's a related word, evid, is the word for servant or slave, right? So when it talks about how the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, it uses that word evid, avadim. Avadim hayinu, we were slaves, chorin, and now we are free. That's from the, the Passover Seder. So, so avad can mean to work, it can mean to serve, but it's also a word that is sometimes translated as worship in, in common English Bibles, right? So sometimes when you see the word worship in English, it's this word avodah or avad. Um, avodah can mean work, as in, you know, on the Sabbath you shall not perform any 
work, melechet avodah, um, any laborious work is sometimes how it's translated. It can also mean service, as in like the the service the priests perform in the tabernacle or in the temple, right? The temple service is called avodah in Hebrew. Um, so a a worship service in in Hebrew you would use this word avodah. Okay, so let's look at a couple examples of how this word is used. Uh, so Psalm 100, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Some translations might say worship the Lord with gladness. Um, come into his presence with singing. This word serve, Hebrew is ivdu. It's a, a plural imperative. It's like a command given to a, a whole bunch of people. Every, everybody, come serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence uh, with singing. Okay, another example, Deuteronomy 11, verse 13. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And it goes on, of course. Um, this is part of uh, one of the passages that is uh, part of the Shema. Um, one of the three passages of scripture read along with the Shema. So this is, uh, you know, here it's paired with love and obedience, right? So obeying commandments, loving the Lord your God, and serving him with all your heart and soul. You know, this word sir is is this verb, avad, to serve. It, it can, uh, you know, you could translate it worship with all your heart, but it's not not just... You know, the English word worship maybe doesn't capture the entire nuance of this Hebrew word, right? Because there is a sense of of serving God, of, you know, our. it's not just something you do uh, intentionally at certain moments of your day, right? Like, oh, now I'm going to go... Uh, go to my room and serve God for a couple minutes here, right? Like, that's not how this word is used. This is something that encompasses your whole life, right? So this this worship in the sense of avodah is something our entire lives have to be immersed in, right? It's it's uh, something that takes over everything. And it's something that involves your, your work, like the way you work. Um, Paul talks about how whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, right? Um, talking to slaves, to in Hebrew, avadim, Paul says to work not as though you're serving an earthly master, but as though you're serving God, right? Um, do whatever you do unto him. This is this is really what, what this word avodah um, is all about. It's, it it encompasses, encompasses all our life. Uh, it, it, uh, every aspect of our lives should be done in service to him. Another word is hishtachava, this verb, um, hishtachava. It is the uh, the most commonly the word most commonly translated as worship in the Tanakh. Uh, literally, it means to prostrate oneself, like like to to bow down uh, so that your forehead uh, so that your forehead touches the floor, right? It's that kind of um, that kind of action. So this, this, that's literally the physical act uh, that it this verb means is to bow down, right? Uh, to completely.
prostrate yourself before someone. So this this is the kind of word used of when someone bows before an earthly ruler, a king or or whatever. Uh, it, it's also used of the honor that we give to God, right? So let's let's look at a couple examples here. Here we're going to look at Exodus. Let's start with Exodus 34. It says, For you shall worship, there's our word, no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. So it says, Ki lo tishtachave, you shall not worship le'el acher, any other God, right? So th this, this is something that, although we do see the word used uh, in connection with other um, like human human beings, someone bowing before a king, for example, and that's that's not bad in and of itself, right? That um, you know we see lots of people doing that sort of thing. Uh, we see, for example, Abigail bowing before David uses this same word. We see um, Joseph's brothers bowing down before Joseph. So it's not bad to to do that. But what is explicitly forbidden in Scripture is to do that to any other god or idol or supposed god only the lord um yod he vav he he is the only one who to whom the the only god that there is and to whom we are to bow to whom we are to hishtakava right okay but it it also so so literally it means to bow, but it's also used metaphorically, right? It's it's more than just a physical act, a physical posture. It is a inward act of submission to uh to God when we do this to God, right? So take a look at this verse. Psalm five, verse seven. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. This is from, we, we say this uh, every week in our Matovu, right? So um, it's one of the verses in the Matovu. So in the abundance of your chesed, of your steadfast love, I will enter your house. I will bow down or I will worship. El hechal kodshecha, to uh, towards your holy place. Uh, this says holy temple. It's literally holy place toward your holy place. Um, in awe of you. So biyiratecha, uh, literally uh, in in your fear. Uh, it doesn't make sense to say it that way in English, but but yeah, um, we bowing down in awe of who God is. Uh, before in, in before God's holiness, coming face to face with, with how holy God is, and bowing down and submitting ourselves to Him. That's what this verse is talking about. Okay, here's another one. Psalm eighty-six, verse nine: All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. So here, the word worship is our verb, yishtachavu. Uh, they will worship. Um, they'll they'll worship before you and glorify your name. And the last one, this one's kind of cool. Uh, we'll take a closer look at that. Uh, o come, this is Psalm ninety-five, verse six. 
O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So here we have three, three words in a row that are all near synonyms. Nishtachaveh, that means literally to, you know, to prostrate yourself. Put your forehead to the floor. Nihra'u, uh, or nihra'a, uh, literally means to put your knees on the ground, like to kneel, right? Um, and nivracha, uh, which means to like bend your knees, right? So these are these are all different ways of expressing the idea of bowing down before before God, before Adonai Osenu, the Lord our Maker. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's kind of cool when Hebrew does that. It's a common Hebrew poetic thing where you you heap on these different near synonyms to express uh, the intensity of something, right? Uh, and so, in this case, it's it's talking about worship, and and these are these are literal physical postures, but it's also it's more than that. It's more than just a physical posture that this is trying to get across, right? This is trying to get across also. Uh, an inward attitude of submission to God, of giving him the adoration that he is worthy of. Okay, so that's our verb, hishtachava. Let's look at the next word. Hillel or tehillah. So this is, this is the word most commonly translated as praise in our English Bibles. Um, and so it, literally, well, uh, it, it comes from, or is possibly related to another Hebrew word that means to shine, to be brilliant, right? To, to, to radiate. And so I like to think of this word as, as talking about like, it's like shining a spotlight on, on something, right? So when we praise God, when we, when we, uh, Hillel, God, we are shining a spotlight on who He is, right? We're 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 saying, you know, this is what this is what God has done. This is this is who God is. This is how amazing He is. That's what it, that's what it means literally in, in in the Hebrew to praise, right? So this is this is the root of the word Hallelujah. You can see that in in the word Hillel, you can hear those same consonants Hallelu, and then Yah is God's name Yah. Hallelujah. Um, this word, like the other words we've just looked at, can also be used toward humans, right? We're talking about praising humans, and not not in a bad way, right? But let's look at just a couple examples. Actually, we'll look at one specific example that um, shows how it can be used when it's to talk about humans. Um, this is in the Eshet Chayil, the, the end of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 31, it talks about how this woman of valor, uh, her children rise up and call her blessed. Um, this is different than the word we use when we're blessing God. This is the verb ash, a, ashar or ashrei, as opposed to the word baruch. So they're not calling her baruch, they're calling her asher, ashar, right? Um, ha, sorry. Uh, and her husband also, and he praises her. Yehalalah, he 
will praise her, <laughs> literally. And so this is that same that same root, right? Um, we see it also, for example, where uh, when Abraham went to Egypt, similar to the story we read today in our Torah portion, but when Abraham went to Egypt the first time and he talked about Sarah and said, oh, she's my sister. And it said that Pharaoh's servants praised her to Pharaoh. They praised Sarah to Pharaoh. They said, you know, she, she, she's, she's pretty good looking or something like that, right? I don't know what exactly they said, but they were talking highly of her. So that's that's what that's what this word literally means. It's it's like saying, you know, shining that spotlight and saying, yeah, hey, this this person is is has good qualities about them, um, illuminating their good qualities. And then so that goes on and verse thirty, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Right. So unlike Pharaoh's servants who maybe were focusing just on Sarah's beauty, I mean. From what we know from scripture, Sarah was not just beauty, not just beautiful outwardly, but also inwardly. But here, this proverb is saying true beauty is, 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 is that which is inward. It has to do with the fear of the Lord, right? Fear of the Lord is where true beauty is. And so a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. There's our, our verb, tit halal. And give her the fruit of her hands. Let her works praise her. Be hallelujah in the gates. Okay, so that's an example where praise can be applied to another human, and, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. But there is a sort of praise that we apply only to God, and this word is used most commonly to describe the praise we give to God. Psalm 69, verse 30, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. So here's our verb. Um, Ahalalah. Shame Elohim, I will praise the name of God, Bashir, with a song. I'll magnify him with thanksgiving. And then down to verse 34. Let heaven and earth praise him. Yahalaluhu, Shemaim va'aretz. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. So it's like all creation is called upon to, to praise God, to describe uh to describe who God is, to illuminate, to make known who God is. Um, by the way, this this word, Hillel, is and um, Tehillah. This is this is the name of the book of Psalms in Hebrew, Tehillim, plural. Tehillah is singular. Tehillim is plural. So, um, if you're talking about the book of Psalms in Hebrew, you say Ha Tehillim, the 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 praises, literally. That's what the Psalms are. Um, And like I said, this is the root of the word hallelujah. Now, I need to explain the word hallelujah because um, here it is. Hallelujah in Hebrew. It's two words, right? Hallelu and yah. It shows up at the beginning of Psalm 150 and it shows up again at the end. Hallelujah. Everyone knows what hallelujah means, right? It means praise the Lord. But Literally, or more more specifically, hallelujah is a second-person plural imperative for all you language geeks out there. <laughs> that means it's it's the command form of the of the verb. It's like what you would do if you're telling someone to do this, but it's plural. 
So, so in Hebrew, if you were going to tell one person to praise the Lord, you would say, Hallel, yeah. But if you're telling a whole bunch of people to praise the Lord, you say, Hallelujah, right? So, so Hallelujah is not an expression of praise to God. It's an exhortation to everyone around you to praise God. It's saying, hey, everybody, praise God, right? I think sometimes we get that mixed up and we assume hallelujah is what we sing to God, but literally in Hebrew, hallelujah is what we say to other people telling them to praise God. Does that make sense? Okay, let, let's. I want to read all of Psalm 150 because it's, it uses this verb so many times over and over again. Hallelujah, 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 over and over and over again. Let's see how this works. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So... Kol ha-neshama, that's literally like every every soul, every neshama. Let every soul, uh, everything that has, has because in, in Hebrew, the word for the word neshama, it also means breath, right? If you have, if you're breathing, if you have air going in and air coming out, that's the Hebrew concept of life, right? Something that has air coming in and out is alive. Um, and uh, a sign of life, a sign of, of that life force, that, that soul in you, right? So everything that's breathing, literally, tehalel, um, yeah, let it, let let it praise the Lord. Let let, yeah, let it every soul, every breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah. Okay, step back for just a second and think about think about what this word means, because you know, in in English, the word praise is one of those words that. I'm sure there's a technical term for this, but it escapes me at the moment. Um, it's one of those words that is self-referential. It, like, it means itself. It's kind of like the word thanks. All right? In, in English, what does it mean to say thank you? What, what, does it mean to, what, or what does it mean to thank someone? Well, it means you go up to them and say thank you. That's, still, that's, that's referring to itself. So the definition of thanking someone is to say thank thanks to someone. But what does the word thanks mean? Do you understand the question? <laughs> it, it's it's like we, we use the word thanks or thank you to do what the word means instead of, well, to thank someone. I guess if you think about it long enough, you could say, well, it means to acknowledge that someone has done something nice for you. Um, and the way we acknowledge that is to say thank you. But but yeah, it's 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 just one of those words that means itself in a weird sort of way. And it's the same with the word praise. What does it literally mean to praise to praise God? Well, oftentimes people will say, "Oh, it means to to say praise God." That's what it means to praise God. But okay, but what does it mean to say praise God? Well, it means to say praise God. No, you know, can we get deeper than that? That's the question. In Hebrew, um I want to suggest this word Hallel means literally to, well, literally to illuminate who God is, but by talking about him, 
saying how good he is, saying how amazing he is, talking about what an awesome God he is. That's what it means to praise him, right? So when we say hallelujah, we're saying, come on, guys, tell about, talk about how good God is. It's kind of like a praise report, right? Praising God in, in, in a Hebrew context is more like offering a praise report of just how amazing he is. Uh, and, and so think about that, what that means for this psalm. I know we're so used to the idea of praising God with musical instruments that maybe this, uh, this doesn't strike us as odd. But if you think about the word praise as meaning to offer a praise report of who God is, how do you do that with a trumpet? How do you do that with a lute and a harp, a tambourine, with dance? What does that mean? Right? I mean, I'm trying to get us to, to get a fresh take on this psalm. Like, like realize, oh, there, there is something a little, uh, a little odd about that. If, if, if you know, it, it's, not, it's not as intuitive or um, natural as maybe it seems at first glance when we look at it. So what does it mean to proclaim who God is using musical instruments? That, that's something really important to think about as part of the theology of worship, right? Like, what does that mean when we come together and sing praises to God? What does it mean when we use musical instruments to praise God? Um, I'm not going to... Uh, I don't have, like, a pat answer for all that other than to say there, there's, there's something about proclaiming God's majesty using everything at our disposal, right? Uh, our, our lips, our words fall short of describing just how amazing God is. And we want to use everything at our disposal to try to convey just how amazing this God is that we serve. And, and I think that's, that's part of what this psalm is getting at here. It's, it's, it's a powerful psalm. It's, it's, it's more powerful than I, I think we, we think just at face value, right? There, there's, there's, there's a lot to this. Okay. Let's look at another word. Hoda, uh, which is related to the word toda. Um, if anyone knows any modern Hebrew, you'll know that the word toda is how you say thank you in modern Hebrew. Toda means thanks or thanks thanksgiving, right? Um, toda in, in biblical Hebrew is used to mean, well, thanksgiving. It's also used of a, a type of offering, a, a type of peace offering specifically, a type of uh, um, animal sacrifice, the, the thanksgiving offering, right? So, hoda, this is, this is the hifil stem of the verb yada. Um, so it's, re it's related to the word, to the verb yada. It literally is like to profess or to confess or to declare, right? So this word is actually uh, the word used to describe confessing sin. In, in, in Hebrew, when you, um, when you confess your sin, you use this word, you, you, you hoda your sin. You acknowledge your sin, right? Um, 
Let's look at an, an example of that so you can see what I mean. Proverbs 28.13, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. So here in Hebrew, it's modeh. Um, in a different context, this word could mean to give thanks. But in this context, when the, when the object of the verb is sin, it's talking about confessing, acknowledging your sin. So if you acknowledge your sin, if you confess your sin, and you ozave, and, and you abandon it, you forsake your sin, um, you will receive mercy. Yerucham. Um, so the word racham, rachamim, you'll receive mercy. Okay, so to confess, it can mean to confess sin. It can also mean to confess what God has done, right? In that sense, it's, it can mean to praise or to give thanks, right? This word is also quite often translated as praise in our English Bible, and uh, as well as giving thanks. It's, it's translated both ways in, in, in common English Bibles. So let's look at a couple other quick examples. Uh, Psalm 67, verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. It repeats it again in verse 5. Same, same thing, same words. Here it's yoducha. It's like let, let them acknowledge you, literally. Let them confess you. Um, give thanks. Let them give thanks to you. Yoducha amim. Let the peoples give thanks to you, Elohim. Yoducha amim kulam. Psalm 118, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Reminds me of a song we sang today. Hodu ladonai ki tov ki leolam chasdo. So you can translate that as give thanks. Again, this is just like the verb hallelujah. This is a second person plural imperative. Hodu. Both of them end with u, right? Hallelu and hodu are the same form of the verb. They're both talking to a group of people, commanding them to do something. Uh, so hodu, give thanks to the Lord, ladonai, ki tov. You could also translate this as acknowledge that the Lord is good and that his Mercy, his love, his steadfast love is eternal, right? So we're acknowledging that. We're thanking God for that, and we're acknowledging that this is the case and, and, and praising him because of it, right? So it's all this wrapped up together. Um, Psalm 136, we have this, this phrase repeated over and over again. Hodu ladonai ki tov ki leolam chasdo, Right? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. That, that phrase, for his steadfast love endures forever, is repeated in every verse over and over and over again in this psalm. And you look at this psalm, and it, I mean, it fits the bill exactly of what we would call a praise report. That's what the psalm is. It's describing what God has done in history and, and that's what this verb, hodu, means. 
So this entire psalm, Psalm 136, is really an expression of the meaning of hoda, the verb hoda. It's, it's a perfect example of what, what we call a praise report, right? Um, describing what God has done. So, so go back to these two words. These uh, Hillel and Hoda have overlapping meanings. They can both mean to praise, uh, but there's a slightly different nuance between them. Hillel is more about illuminating who God is. Hoda is more about declaring what God has done. Does that make sense? When we hoda, we, we say God has done this and this and this. When we hillel, we say God is amazing. He's majestic. He's wonderful. This is who he is. And the two go together, obviously, right? I mean, you can't have one without the other. The fact that God has done all these amazing things shows how amazing he is. The fact that God is so amazing is why he does amazing things. The, the two go hand in hand. But they're, they're just two different nuances of what it means to praise. Uh, we're talking about who God is and what he's done. All right, let's look at the next word, um, the verb bereich, and also baruch. Baruch is, I guess, I guess you could say it's an adjective. It functions like an adjective. Um, baruch means blessed. So we say baruch ata Adonai in, in blessings. Uh, that means you are blessed, Adonai. Um, whenever we say that, we're using this verb. So what exactly does this word mean? Uh, well, literally, I shouldn't, I should stop using that word literally. <laughs> I think I'm overusing that word. Uh, the verb barach or berech is related to, possibly related to, there, there's some uh, some debate about exactly how Hebrew roots are related to each other, but but it sounds the same as the Hebrew verb, uh, Hebrew noun berech, which means knees. Your your knee, birkaim is is your knees. So uh, there is a closely related verb, barach means to bend your knees. It's, it's only found like once or twice in the whole Hebrew Bible, but it happens to be found in that verse we looked at. Uh, Come, let us worship, bow down, and bend the knee before the Lord our Maker. Um, that's where we see that, that verb that's related to barach, um, related to, to this here. So there's, there's something about blessing. This verb is usually translated as to bless um, or blessed. There's something about that that um, seems to be related to knees, to, to kneeling or to bending your knees. Um, not, it's not exactly clear what the relation between the two roots is, but there, there's, some, there's some relation. So to bend the knee, to kneel, it's also the verb we translate as to bless or to praise. When we're talking about blessing God, we're talking about praising God, right? So, this verb can be used to describe um, blessing other people, right? Let's look at a couple examples here so you see what I mean. God says to Abraham, 
I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. Avarechecha. And make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. You'll be a bracha. Actually, literally, it's, it's imperative. And be a blessing. It's a command, Abraham. Be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and he who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, so we get this this verb, barach, uh, birech, over and over again in, in, in these few verses. So God is blessing Abraham, and God's going to bless everyone who blesses Abraham. Um, and here's an example of someone blessing Abraham. <laughs> Genesis 14, verse 19. And he, this is Melchizedek, Melchizedek blessed him, Abraham. So Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram. I guess his name hadn't changed yet, so it was still Abram. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered enemies into your hand. What's interesting about this passage is we see the same verb, blessed. It's Baruch. Um, so Abraham is called Baruch, but then El Elyon, God Most High, is called Baruch. It's the same same adjective uh, applied to both. Uh, we see this this phrase blessed, like when God blessed Adam and Eve, when God, um, uh, yeah, we see, we see this used often. Uh, like we saw in Proverbs 31, there's a different word to, to mean to bless when it's talking about people. So for example, Psalm 1, blessed is the man. It's not this word baruch. A different word. It's not Baruch. It is Ashrei. Ashrei Haish. And Ashrei, uh, as to my knowledge, is never used in praise to God. But Baruch is. So there's something different about Baruch. Ashrei is like, you know, um, talking about how uh, it, it's a good situation to be in, right? It's a good situation to be in this case. The, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, uh, for they sh for they shall be called sons of God. I got that wrong. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You know what I'm talking about, right? In Matthew 5 and in Luke chapter 6. Um, in that case, it, it's written in Greek, but the Greek word is a translation of the Hebrew ashrei. So ashrei is referring to, you know, it's it's a good situation to be in. And with the Beatitudes, it's kind of paradoxical. Well, why is it a good situation to be poor? Why is it a good situation to be persecuted? Well, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? Because God is going to comfort those who mourn. Right? It's From an earthly standpoint, it's not a good situation to be in mourning. But God says those who mourn over Zion, God will comfort them by restoring Zion. That's That's what it's getting at in that sense. Okay, so this is different. When we're talking about this kind of blessing, the barach, baruch kind of blessing, we're talking about God putting his, his, his power, his life force, his, his goodness um, towards someone, right? When we're saying, when we're asking God to bless someone in, in the baruch kind of sense, we're, talk, we're asking God to to uh, give his 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 strength, his uh, you know um, vitality to someone. 
So with this verb, barach, that's not someone anyone can do to someone else just on their own. We invoke God's blessing on other people. Only God can bless in this kind of sense. All blessing comes from God. So when we say, when we bless someone, we're asking God to bless them, right? Okay, so it can be used of people. It's also used very often of God, right? Specifically of God. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. Avarech Adonai. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Without verb, Baruch. Baruch Adonai Elohei Yisrael. May ha'olam v'ad ha'olam. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. This is cool because it links together a bunch of different concepts of praise. So we're talking about blessing God, singing to him, tell of his salvation. That sounds a lot like what we were describing, praise. Praise means talking about what God has done, who he is, right? Talking about his salvation from day to day. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Um, we should move on. Um, there's more we could talk about with, with blessing, but I think, I think it's time to move on. Zamar, Zemer, we see this sometimes in the Psalms to describe uh, making music to God. To sing or, or sing praise. Um, here are some examples. I will give thanks to the Lord due to His righteousness. I will sing praise. That verb, that phrase, sing praise in Hebrew is um, azamra. I will zamar. I will make music to the name of the Lord Most High. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody. Make melody. This is our verb. To make music to him with a harp of ten strings. Okay, so it can it can mean making music with your mouth, with an instrument, different things. This is another aspect of praise, right? Another aspect of uh, worship, praise, from a biblical perspective. Okay, we're not going to go through all these other words, but here here's just a sampling of some other words that we see in the Psalms. Uh, um, in your own study, if you if you're interested, you can track any of these down. So the verb kavod, uh, kavod, um, kavod is a noun, uh, means glory or to glorify. L literally, it means to be heavy. So when we're talking about glorifying God, we're talking about attributing weight, importance, honor, glory to God. Literally, glory in Hebrew means weight, right? It's it's something weighty, important. Gadal or gadol. Gadal is the verb. Gadol is the adjective. To be great, to make great. So when you see in English translations to magnify, it's this it's this verb, to, to make something big, literally, right? Make it big. Um, rum or ramam, to be high, to be lofty, to make high, to lift up, to exalt. Whenever you see this word exalt in English, it's often uh, this verb. Rum or Ramam. It's using the metaphor of physical altitude to describe how amazing God is, how beyond us God is, how great God is, right? 
uh, ranan, rina, to make a loud noise, to shout for joy, to rejoice. Kava, to wait or to hope. Right in, in uh, Psalm 40, it says, I will, um, I, I waited on the Lord and he heard my cry and lifted me up out of the, the miry pit, out of the clay and set my feet on a rock. Right? So what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Well, this, this verb, um, kava, it's, it has uh, the sense of like pooling together, concentration. It's the root of the word mikvah. A mikvah is a gathering of water. It's where, where water is pooled together, right? So when we kava on the Lord, it's not sitting there twiddling our thumbs, waiting. I, I'm just waiting for the Lord, you know? No, it's it's active. It's it's intentional and it's um, intense, like focusing on him, pooling our our, our thoughts, our, our, our hopes, our dreams on him, right? That's what it means. Uh, there's, uh, you know, the noun tefillah means prayer. Um, the the root falal uh, to pray. Sharet is a verb. It means to minister. We see this sometimes used about ministering to the Lord. It's closely related to avad to serve the Lord, right? Uh, but it's it's less of a a brute work kind of term and more used of uh, more delicate kind of service. So, like for example, uh, um. Joshua is described as Moses's, uh, what's the word? Misharet, I think is what it is in Hebrew. It's, it's the, from this same root. Uh, he's the minister the, or the aid, Moses's aid, his Moses minister. So this word is also used of service that we render to God, ministering to him. Yare, to fear. What does it mean to fear God? Um, We'll have to unpack that sometime as well, but uh, we'll we'll leave it at that for now. There, there's one other thing that I want to unpack here before we close, and and that is just this this concept of corporate versus individual worship and praise. So we've been looking at all these all these different terms used in Hebrew, different nuances of what it means to to worship God, what it means to praise God, right? So here's a question. Can you praise God by yourself on an island? <laughs> now, the uh I mean, the intuitive obvious sort of answer should be well yeah you can praise god anywhere it doesn't doesn't matter right you don't have to go to a certain place on earth in order to worship god um you know you don't have to be at a at the temple you don't have to be at a synagogue or church in order to to worship god you can worship him anywhere you can pray anywhere right and you can pray to god from anywhere but here's the point i want to make is that there are um when when we look at these words for praise in Hebrew like halal uh, hilal or um um hoda they're talking about ta- telling other people how good God is telling other people what God has done take a look at uh, some of these verses here Actually, before we look at these 
I've got some other verses to look at. Let's try these ones. All right. Psalm 22, verse 25. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. What's, what's David talking about here, about, you know, wanting to be in the great congregation and, and performing his vows so that other people can see it? Right? What does that mean? Um, how about this? Psalm thirty-five, eighteen. I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. Why does it have to be in the great congregation? Why doesn't he say, off in the desert when I'm by myself, I will thank you. And when I'm at home in my closet, I will praise you. Why doesn't he say that? Here's a uh, one I want to focus on. Psalm 40, verses 9 and 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. And look at what, um, I'm not sure if this is a psalm of David or not, but just for the sake of our discussion now, let's, let's assume David wrote this psalm. Maybe someone else wrote it, I, I don't remember. But what's David saying here? David's like, you know, don't accuse me of whole, keeping this to myself. I didn't keep all this to myself. I didn't keep how all that you've done for me to myself. I went into the great congregation and, and, and proclaimed what you have done so that others could hear. Bless God in the great congregation. This is Psalm 68, 26. Bless God in the great congregation. Again, this is an, a command form, a plural command form, talking to a group of people, telling them to bless, to bless God in the great congregation. Psalm 1, 111 verse 1 praise the lord there, there's our command form hallelujah i will give thanks to the lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation so why is it important to do it in the presence of other people i mean this this goes back to the definition of praise from a biblical perspective how can you say hallelujah commanding everyone around you to praise god if there's no one else around you, <laughs> right? You can't. I mean, technically, right? Technically, it doesn't. It doesn't work. It's missing out on on the meaning of what that, what that, uh, what that verb means. If you're alone by yourself and you say hallelujah, there's no one to hear you say it to, to take up what you just told them to do. So. You know, there there's this there's this sense in which from a from a just from the basic meaning of these Hebrew words, praise requires other people. It's not true tehillah. It's not true todah if there's no one around you to hear it. And I think that's the point that the Psalms are getting at. Um, for example, when David says in Psalm 30, verse 9, What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Or Psalm 88, verse 10, Do you do work? Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? 
or Psalm 115, verse 17, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. Now, you know, some people take those verses and say, oh, I guess back then they didn't believe in the resurrection. I, I think that's missing the point. The point is, from a biblical definition of praise, someone who has died is not able to praise the Lord because praise involves exhorting people who are alive, who have breath in them, to talk about how good God is, right? So there's there's this sense in which true praise requires other people. To, true praise cannot be done in isolation from other believers. True praise takes place with others. That means that from a biblical perspective, when we isolate ourselves from other believers and never gather with others or interact with others, there's going to be something missing from our worship. There's a corporate aspect to worship that cannot be dismissed. But, on the flip side, the Bible also warns against those who presume to engage in corporate aspects of worship when their personal lives are not in submission to God. We're going to talk about that more in the next part of this, this series. But the point is that a without a life of personal worship our corporate worship is meaningless. And so the point I, I want to underscore, and we can end on this point, is that we need both. And the two feed off each other, right? If our corporate worship is lacking, our personal worship will be deficient. If our personal worship is lacking, our corporate worship will be deficient. We need both. All of us need both. We need to cultivate lives of worship and submission and reverence for God in every moment, but we also need one another in order to complete true worship and praise, to give God the glory that he deserves. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge that you are awesome, that you are good, and that you are worthy of all our worship and praise. And Father, our words do not do justice to what you deserve. Our, our, our words cannot capture just how amazing you truly are. I ask you, Father, that you would help us to live lives of worship before you and help us to share with others about how good you are and what you have done for us. And in, in everything we do, help us to do it all to the glory of Yeshua. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. The goal of Segula is to cast a vision for a healthy and mature Messianic Torah movement. This series of teachings on Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, is made possible through the help of our ministry partners and supporters. For more information about this ministry, please visit www.segula.net. May the Father richly bless you as you seek Him, and together may we all become a glorious people in Messiah.